0: It's real, and it's spectacular. Real Pod Wednesdays, Episode 5, coming at you right now. I'm Dan Hope. I'm here with Colin Uh, Haas-Hill. Got a lot of questions coming up today. Did you Uh, just call our shot? Did you just say this
1: is going to be spectacular?
0: That's a Seinfeld reference. Oh, if oof. you're not aware of the show, well,
1: that, that was a one past of the, the few show TV shows in.
0: that I've actually seen and can make a reference to. Right, if it I'm was an have... Office reference, I wouldn't get it. Now I'm gonna have to make a Breaking Bad reference or something like that. Yeah, it's we'll, we'll see how Bad. he can get me. We'll see how he can get me later. But uh, we got a lot of questions from you guys this week, uh, so we're gonna want to jump right into it here. Uh, reminder once again, we're on iTunes, we're on Spotify. Uh, everything's rolling pretty good, so we appreciate everybody who's been listening in and. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about this week because a, a big game coming up for Ohio State, uh, not such a big game this past week uh, as Ohio State played Miami, uh, a game that was supposed to be a blowout and it was a blowout, so we won't spend too much time uh, talking about the game itself, but regardless of who the opponent is, I think 76-5 to 5 is pretty impressive. Yeah, uh, I mean...
1: You go through that first quarter, and I know that when we talked after the game, you said there was a, that you had a feeling that once they turned it on, they would start to roll. And like, sure, I it's not like I ever thought that they were even going to come close to losing. Like, I'm not psychotic, but at the same time, there was a moment there where I was like, oh, are they only going to win like twenty eight, thirty five. Like, this isn't this not it didn't feel like the team that we had seen the first three weeks, at least in the first ten minutes. And obviously, that changed changed pretty drastically.
0: Yeah, I think there were uh, some people starting to get just a little nervous at 5 nothing, thinking, oh, man, Ohio State uh, really sleptwalked into this one. Uh, maybe it was going to be kind of one of those long days. I don't think anybody thought Ohio State was going to lose, but maybe people who had bet on Ohio State to cover the spread were a little bit worried early on. But uh, we saw it. Once this team flipped the switch and got going, uh, it got away from Miami really fast. Uh, scored 76 unanswered points, of course. 42 of those points came in the second quarter, which uh, based on the research that uh, Jerry Emig and his staff have done at Ohio State, uh, they believe they couldn't confirm with 100% certainty, but they believe that is the most points ever in a quarter for Ohio State. So you think of how long Ohio State's been playing football, uh, that's pretty impressive. And that's really what struck me about this team. It's what I wrote about after the game on Saturday, is this team's ability to flip a switch and to just explode out to a big lead. Even after a slow start, I mean, that was the first time all year that a team had taken a lead on Ohio State. So that was a far less of an ideal start. And it looked like maybe Ohio State was just gonna sleepwalk through this one. And then all of a sudden they pulled away and the starters were out by halftime. And it's in all three phases of the game. I think when you see 42 points on the scoreboard for a quarter, you think, oh, wow, the offense is really explosive. And and it is. But the big reason why that happened was because the defense forced free turnovers and seven banks blocked a punt. And as a result, the offense got the ball past midfield. Uh, on four of those six touchdown drives. So just a really impressive quarter there in all phases of the game that took care of business, allowed Ohio State to put its backups in for the second half and and rest up for a bigger game this week.
1: Yeah, this team's, I guess, quote-unquote, explosion is really is really interesting because if you think about last year, like they're explosive playmakers. You could name them. I mean, there was Terry McLaurin. There was Parrish Campbell who could take anything and, and run it. Can run like a 4-3. You had Johnny Dixon. All four of the all three of those guys ran sub-4-fours. Four you look at this offense, like I think it's explosive, but it's in it's it's explosive in a different way. And this team is explosive in a different way. They have these bursts where it's unique because it's sort of like a it's three phases. You've seen them block kicks, block punts. You've seen Chase Young force fumbles, Jeff Okuda had an interception. And the key part to this explosion too is Ohio State on offense hasn't really been turning the ball over. I know Master Teague had a fumble but Justin Fields hasn't thrown an interception. Um, They've they've done a really nice job um, controlling the ball and their explosions are almost controlled they're almost they're not they're not on one play they're sort of in five minutes they're in eight minutes they're in these sort of bursts that is different from especially last year's team.
0: And so far this has just looked like a complete football team. Now, we we talked about it last week. We can say it again this week. FAU, Cincinnati, Indiana, Miami. Uh, Ohio State hasn't played a team that's close to comparable talent. I think there's going to be a step up this week in Nebraska, and we'll talk about Nebraska in a little bit. But uh, Nebraska coach Scott Frost said it himself when he was asked about Ohio State on Monday. He said, there's no doubt in my mind that this Ohio State team is better than last year's team. And uh, I had a couple people in my mentions on Twitter asking, "Is he taken a shot at Urban Meyer? No, I think he's just being honest, and I agree with him. I, I, Even though Ohio State hasn't played a top team yet, there really isn't any doubt in my mind that this team is better than last year. And the big reason for that is the defense is just so much better than last year.
1: Yeah, I mean, the Scott Frost comment, I think it would be really irresponsible for him to not say that first off. So I think it's one of those that he has to say, but it's also... I think we both sort of believe it. Um, the offense is at a, it's at a place that we didn't really expect them to be at right now. Um, the special teams has been consistent in a way that like you rarely see special teams actually consistently make these sort of game-changing plays. Um, and obviously the defense. We can say the defense over and over and over again, but the defense is why this team all of a sudden is this playoff contender in a way that like They were always a playoff contender, but right now it really feels like they have the talent on all three sides of the ball to, to like be a national champion contender.
0: This defense has allowed just one touchdown in the last three games, and that touchdown came on a trick play against Indiana. Uh, this defense has been dominant Um, and and you think about what this defense was last year Uh, yeah they haven't played top competition but we saw last year against mediocre teams this defense would struggle and give up uh, in the 20s and 30s of points Uh, they still haven't allowed a team over 300 yards this year Uh, just been really dominant play on the defensive side of the ball and while I do think coming up this week against Nebraska is gonna be their toughest test yet as a defense uh, I think that what we've seen these first four weeks, as long as they stay healthy, uh, I, I think it's going to translate all year.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I completely agree with that. You look at all three phases of um, or all three levels of the defense, and there's just there's talent there that translates. There's talent there that's going to translate to against against the best competition. And Sure, it's a lot of the similar players that that they had last year, but you're. They're obviously playing at a different level than they did last year. I mean, you look at at the defensive line. They have they have Chase Young, they have Devon Hamilton. They'll probably get Cooper back um, here shortly. Potentially, I think we probably both expect him to be back on Saturday. That'd be um, my guess. Yeah, it'd be my guess too. Um, and then second level, you have Malik Harrison. I think Baron Browning's both impresses. Pete Warner's played really well. Third level, you have. Uh, you have a first-round cornerback, you have Jordan Fuller who's been really solid as a safety, Damon Arnett's played really well this year. There's just talent all over that defense and you can tell just based on the scheme that they're playing that, they, that they're really confident
0: too. We've got to talk about Chase Young for a minute because uh, he's been absolutely Four dominant more. all season. He's had at least one and a half sacks in every game this past week. He not only had two sacks, he had two strip sacks uh, with two of the turnovers we talked to before that led to touchdowns and You've been talking about it for a few weeks uh, off air. I've been a little more reluctant to get there, but I think at this point we really can start having a conversation. Is Chase Young even better than Moses? I know it's a wild conversation to have because, like, the, I think the
1: key part about this is like, one, we just we didn't see Nick at peak Nick, which is really just disappointing for college football. Like, you just want to have those guys. And you we've want talked that big about, season.
0: we've talked about this before. It's so sad that we didn't get to see a full season of Nick Bosa and Chase Young with Draymond Jones in the middle.
1: I mean, that is an that would have been an unbelievable sight, but we only got three games to watch it happen. Um, but going back to the question, like you can't even th- you can't ask the question and be like, "Is Chase Young as good as the Boses?" Like that's a dumb question right now. Yes, the answer to that is yes. He's at that level. He's different than them in that he came in as this physical freak who looked like an nfl player immediately and he came in and and he made a little bit of an impact early but that's when they had probably the deepest defensive ends that that ohio state has had um under larry johnson um so he didn't get a ton of run as a freshman <clears throat> sophomore 10 and a half sacks right now through four games he is seven
0: and the school, the school record is 14 yeah, who's straight.
1: not going to pick him to beat that
0: uh, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'm going to pick him. As he stays healthy, uh, I think he could obliterate that. So, so where are you on the scale of Chase Young and the Bosa's? I'm not ready to to say that he's better than the Bosa's yet, but I I do think that if he keeps this up and if he can if he can do this for a whole season, do it against some better offensive lines if they're going to play here in the next couple couple months, I I do think he has a chance to go down as, as better than the Bosa's. Uh, I, I think. You know, we talked about it a little bit off air. Uh, I think what was so impressive about the Bosa's was just how technically skilled they are. Their their ability to use their hands, their ability to use their hips. They both came into Ohio State as playing NFL-level technique, and then Larry Johnson just made them better. Chase Young came in as a much more raw player. He didn't have that kind of technique when he was a freshman. But now, after two years of Larry Johnson, now he has that NFL-level technique to pair with... Elite, elite physical tools. Because we talk about the NFL scouting combine uh, next next spring. Chase's numbers are going to be a lot more impressive than the Bosa's because he's just such a physical freak. And, and the type of player he is, uh, I know there's been a, a bet in our uh, 11 Warriors Slack between uh, Jason Priestess and Kevin Harris about who would be drafted higher, Nick Bosa or Chase Young. And uh, if you had asked me last year, I would have said uh, Nick Bosa was for sure a better bet there. But now, uh, it's tough because he has to go number one for, for Jason to win that bet. But uh, I think he's got a shot. Uh, that's how good Chase is playing right now.
1: Yeah, right now, um, it's like the, the way that I look at Chase and the Bosas is I think right now Chase is on pace to be better than the Bosas. He's on pace. Now, I thought Nick was on pace to be better than Joey, and then just like, how do you evaluate that? Because he just didn't have that last year, right. so that one's just difficult to evaluate. Like Chase, I look for three things: one, he's gonna face NFL level tackles.
0: Um, what's Iowa's tackle's name? Uh, Tristan Wurfs. Yeah, he's. They're not, actually both really good. Tristan Wurfs and Alaric Jackson. Yeah,
1: like those are the those are the kinds of guys where all right, so he's beating up on this bad competition. I think that'll translate to to guys who will play in going against guys who will play in the NFL, but I want to see that before I just deem him better than the Boston. Unfortunately
0: they don't have Iowa on the schedule this year. So I'm, I'm predicting a Big Ten championship. Okay. There we go. Maybe. Big Ten Big Ten West champion Iowa.
1: Um but like I want to see him against that that type of talent. And then two, I want to see him he's made these game changing plays, specifically these um these forced fumble sacks. He's made them in these games that ultimately if he didn't force the fumble, they would have been okay. I want to see him do that in a game that really matters. I want to see him do that against Penn State. Against we did Michigan. see him do it against
0: Penn State last year. We so.
1: did. We did, and I want to see him do that again this right. year. Um, and then I, I just want to see, like, if he does that and also is, the like, the first pick, like, it's over. It's over. Like, those are my three things. I don't think he'll be the first pick. I think he can do those other two and still be better than the Boses, but I just I want to see if he can be the first pick because if he does that, if he breaks the sack record, I really,
0: truly think... He might be picked ahead of a quarterback, which is in this day and age, fairly incredible. And it all depends on which team gets the first all pick too. It all comes down to that. But I think right now, if if you pulled NFL scouts around the league, I think most likely most of them would have Chase Young at the number one spot on their draft board right now because that's the kind of talent he is.
1: And I actually think right now, a good amount would have him as a higher grade
0: than than either Nick or Joey. I think you're probably right about that. I think there's probably. <laughs> Right about that. Uh, I know you want to talk a little bit about Devon Hamilton as well, uh, because Chase gets all the headlines, but there's and a lot. He deserves there's a lot of talented defensive linemen on this unit, and and I think Devon really. Uh, is probably the guy who goes the most underappreciated, who has really had an excellent year and most people don't know about him.
1: Yeah, I would probably – so, like, when we talk about this defense, a lot is about these linebackers um, and the way that they play against the run. And Kyle Jones did a good piece on this on uh, Eleven Warriors on Monday that you'd want to check out. Um, the, sort of the hidden part of this this linebacker renaissance is that Devon Hamilton and Jay Sean Cornell are playing really well but especially Devon Hamilton. He just gets penetration all the time. And when he gets this penetration it it either throws off where the running backs going, it requires someone a, a second guy to help block him freeing up a linebacker. He makes he makes these plays consistently thus far and I think he's he's probably the most underappreciated guy on the team right now you just don't hear his name that often even when he makes a tackle for loss usually there's like two or three guys that are also like end up piling on so you're not just you don't just get this soul shot of Devon but just watch him on a few plays I just he's he's fascinating to watch because he's clearly this big hulking guy 6'4 3'10 3'15 yet in the offseason season. He's also in better shape right now, um, and he said that coming into the season and sort of shown that. I think he's playing with a better motor. He's playing um, in play. He's, he's just getting more penetration than he ever has before, and that's been a big key to this defense.
0: Ohio State has now blocked a kicker punt in three straight games. We saw the latest one, seven banks blocking a punt. Uh, against Miami. Uh, that's the first time Ohio State's done that in at least 10 years. I looked on uh, cfbstats.com, which only goes back to 2009, and I could not find an instance where Ohio State had done that in at least three games. I, I asked our data guru, uh, Matt Guttridge, to look that up. He hadn't had a chance yet before we recorded, but uh, he's really good at finding obscure stats, so uh, looking forward to see what seeing what he finds on that regard. But Uh, Special teams, I think, was a bit of a question for me coming into the year. We knew how much Urban Meyer uh, loved special teams and put such a big emphasis on it. But with Ryan Day being such an offensive guy, I I didn't know. And and Matt Barnes, I think, probably of all the assistant coaches coming into the year, was the biggest unknown. He was the guy who, you look at his resume, we just didn't know as much about him. But so far, uh, he's off to a really good start. Uh, showing you know, this ability to make these big plays. And I think that's something that Matt Barnes has really tried to make a priority is they want to block kicks and they want to make game-changing plays on special teams.
1: Yeah, I think Ryan Day had mentioned that sort of when he came in, like he wanted to make that an emphasis. Yep. And here's the thing about special teams. It gets talked about so much that I just feel almost unqualified whenever I talk about it because it's like you're looking at it. Like I've seen someone punt. I've seen someone kick a field goal. Like, I don't. I don't fully understand the the um, the slight changes, the slight differences that sort of he was even referring to today on Tuesday as we as we record this. But it's pretty clear he does, and he knows what he's doing, and he's put the guys in the right position in a way that we haven't necessarily
0: seen um, recently at Ohio well, State. Well, I think it's interesting. Um, you know, we track kind of who plays on each of those units each week for the snap count series that that Matt Guttridge and I do and just to see some of the different lineup changes they make because last year we actually didn't even include the field goal block team in the series because they would just keep their regular defense on the field and now this year we've seen them actually kind of craft these lineups they used DeWan Jones against Cincinnati and he helped Chase Young block a field goal in that game and they've kind of crafted different lineups and, and Matt Barnes was even talking on Tuesday about how depending on how the kicker whether how high he kicks the ball and depending on the protection schemes they're putting different guys out there who they think have a better chance of of making a block and of course they're doing the same thing on punts as well so i think matt barnes is a really smart guy who probably uh hasn't gotten enough love yet uh compared to jeff halfley and greg madison and al washington but uh I, i think he's Doing a really good job on special teams. I think all indications are of it. You know, he, he's somebody who uh, is having a very positive impact on his coaching staff as well.
1: Yeah, and the one thing to to note about that is, like, when you talk to Matt Barnes in interviews, it's about special teams. Like, sure, he's the assistant secondary coach, so he's coaching them too. But it really feels like a lot of his brain power is going to that. Whereas, like, Urban, sure, Urban talked a lot about special teams. That was a big that was a big thing of importance to him. But at the same time, the in and outs of it, like, a head coach cannot be designing a specific punt block for the Miami game. And that's what I think is different this year, is you have a guy whose primary job is special teams, whereas even in the past, like, you had a Kerry Combs or a Tabor Johnson, like, these were their secondary jobs. And I think it's, you're seeing the impact of someone whose primary job is special teams.
0: And the thing about it is when, when I, I've talked to Matt Barnes a few times now, and, and I realized that He really knows what he's talking about with special teams because I found a lot of times in the past when you ask coaches about special teams, it's usually a lot of very basic answers, very generic stuff. When you ask Matt about it, he he gets more into the strategy of it, and you can tell that there is a lot of thought and a a lot of game planning going into special teams, and I do. I think that's because that's his primary job. He is helping Jeff Halfley with the secondary, and I do think a significant amount of time is going to work on the secondary, but his primary job is special teams coordinator. And and I, I think as good as Urban Meyer was in special teams, and, and special teams were typically a strength with Urban Meyer, they were typically a strength with Jim Trussell, but I think having a position coach who's really focused on special teams as the primary function of their job i i think there's some definite value in that because i think he's like you said i think he's allowed he's able to put more time into game planning for special teams than a head coach if all their responsibility possibly can
1: yeah it's it's very different in just the way that that they approach it urban meyer's approach to special teams was it's almost like as a motivational tool whereas matt barnes is using it Strategically,
0: I think both can work, but it's different. While we're on the topic of special teams, Garrett Wilson—he had a spectacular catch on on Saturday. Uh, really ridiculous catch. Uh, you could say that the defender got mossed on that play, uh, and we knew. Who are you? We knew he had those elite ball skills uh, coming in, but I think what impressed me more about Garrett Wilson on Saturday was his 52-yard punt return. Uh, the first 50-plus-yard punt return from an Ohio State player since 2014. And honestly, I didn't know that Garrett had that kind of agility and speed that he showed on that play. I knew he had the elite ball skills. But seeing him return that punt, I know it was just against Miami in the second half, but I kind of think that he should be getting more opportunities there because, because we haven't seen an explosive punt return like that from Ohio State in a long time, and he seems to have a lot of upside. He's looked smooth
1: doing it. That, that's probably the best way to describe it. He just looked smooth out there, and so I think there's. It's interesting because right now, like Demario McCall and um, KJ Hill have been sort of their two main returners.
0: Mostly Demario.
1: Mostly Demario. Um, well, they both have five, um, but um,
0: Demario has been out there more of a, even if KJ's returned as many punts.
1: I think I, if they trust Demario to to uh, to hold on to the ball, and it seems like they have. I think Demario is just as good as an option as as, as Garrett Wilson. Um, I like Garrett Wilson better as a returner than than KJ Hill because um, I haven't really seen that explosion from KJ in any of the returns that we've seen the past few years. Now I'm not gonna like Garrett. Garrett doesn't have this James and Williams speed that I know that we're gonna talk a little bit about, but that that smoothness and like. What he did, like you said, hasn't been done in years. And sure, it was against Miami, Ohio, but Ohio State plays teams like Miami, Ohio every single year. There are uh, there are opportunities for this. So, like I'm, I'm not immediately saying, all right, Garrett Wilson has to be the punt returner. Uh, but I, I think, I think Garrett Wilson should get uh, maybe a few more opportunities there. I still think Demario McCall as the returner is really intriguing to me.
0: Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree with all of that. You mentioned Jamison Williams. So I want to talk about him as well uh i mean just seeing the play that he made i caught about a 10 yard pass from gunner hoke turns downfield and he just shot out of a cannon i mean he had three or four miami guys trying to chase him and he just straight ran away from him uh he's probably the fastest wide receiver on the team and i think the question there is should he be in the rotation more because uh he he's definitely impressed his coaches uh i think there's a lot of upside there of course The rotation's deep. They've they've got KJ Hill. They've got Chris Olave. They've got Benjamin Victor. They've got Austin Mack. Those guys are their top four receivers. That's not changing. Garrett Wilson, he's kind of a fifth guy right now, but he's going to work. He's going to be in that same group of those guys. He's working his way up to that. But we've seen this team use six receivers in the past. I don't know if they're ever going to quite do that this year because I don't think they quite have that second H behind K.J. Hill, and they're using that more for two tight end sets. But if there's another receiver at this point who I think should be in the rotation more, I would go with Jameson Williams. We've seen Jalen Harris get in there a little bit. We've seen Jalen Gill get in there a little bit. But neither of those guys have done anything at this point. Right now, if I was going to put another receiver on the field in a big game like the one coming up this Saturday, other than those five, my next guy in line would be Jameson Williams.
1: Yeah, I don't even know if that's really much of a question at, at this point after seeing him have one explosive play. Because the interesting thing and, and sort of the thing that, that I find intriguing about Ryan Day's offense is he sort of likes different types of players. He likes to have different types of players on the field, different options. He's different because, like you said, he's he's faster than any other wide receiver they have. Like, I think their wide outs are fine. I think they're solid. Um I think some of them have impressed me more than I thought. I'm looking at Ben Victor when I say that. But no one is sort of the Paris Campbell on this team. They don't have that guy. And while Jamison isn't going to be that as a freshman. He adds that dimension. He, ha- he adds that part. And I'm not sure if there are maybe a few, like, certain plays that maybe you can get him in the game and you get him into open field. I think there are ways to do that. I don't expect him to have a major part in this offense. But I think that, like, Giving the ball once or twice a game is not going to hurt anybody. I mean, you you get him the ball, and just like Paris, it could go for 80.
0: Yeah, and, and Ryan Day has already said he, he basically said he's not going to redshirt this year, uh, all along with Garrett Wilson, uh, Zach Harrison, Harry Miller, Craig Young, Marcus Crowley. Those guys have all played in four games. And Ryan Day said on his radio show on Monday that those guys probably aren't going to redshirt. So if you're not going to redshirt those guys – you've got to find a way to get him on the field one way or another so i totally agree with you i i don't think you're going to see him taking significant snaps away from chris Olave or austin mack at z but i think i think you got to find a way to get him involved because i do think that speed adds another dimension that they don't necessarily have in the guys that are playing regularly before we move on from a Miami game. We've talked about Miami for 25 minutes and we haven't talked about the fact that Justin Fields accounted for six touchdowns in one quarter in his fourth ever collegiate start and nobody's really talking about it. Are, are we starting to take Justin Fields for granted? No.
1: Um, I don't think so. Um, I think that we're all thinking that Miami, Ohio is bad. Um, it's interesting because in just a month Justin Fields' takes have like people's opinions on Justin Fields have, have come a long way. Just going into the year, I think think there was a thought that maybe he'd be more, be more turnover prone. Um, he'd be less. That was my thought. That was the thought. He'd be less. Whether it be ready for the college game, he'd make more
0: mistakes. I didn't um, expect him to be as clean be as a efficient more risky. as he is. Yeah, I didn't expect him to be so efficient, so clean, uh, so consistent.
1: Yeah, I don't, so I don't think we're necessarily taking him for granted. If he does this, I think we're waiting to see him do this against a step up in competition. Like I think that I think the expectations of Justin Fields have gone up since the season started. But I think if he has this, six if he has six touchdowns
0: this week against Nebraska, yeah, that's what he's, I'm he's, talking he's gonna about. He's going to be in a high conversation. <laughs> yes,
1: now. yeah, and and he's already sort of wedged his way in just a little bit. But that's I think what we're, what we're all waiting for. Like, all right, you've done it against this competition. Can you do it against the next step? So no, I don't think anyone's taking him for granted quite yet. It could come eventually, but, but no, not right
0: now. That's my take. Let's go ahead and talk a little bit about Nebraska uh, because I think we both agree this is the toughest test of the year to date for Ohio State. Nebraska hasn't lived up to the hype. They lost to Colorado. They didn't lead until the fourth quarter of his past week against Illinois. Uh, and, and I'll admit, I thought coming into the year, I was buying the Nebraska hype. I thought best team in the Big Ten West, and I actually said on our first podcast of the year, I said, I thought Ohio State would go 11-1, and one. and I said, if you put a gun to my head and you made me pick which game they would lose, I picked this game. I, I said I thought they would lose to Nebraska. Now, I'm not going to pick that anymore, because Nebraska hasn't played as well as I thought they would, and Ohio State has played a lot better than I thought they would. But, That still doesn't change the fact that this is the toughest test of the year to date. Ryan Day said on Tuesday that this is by far the most talented team the Buckeyes have played. And I agree, because a lot of that just has to do with who Ohio State has played. FAU, Cincinnati, Indiana, Miami. Uh, I don't know if this Nebraska team is great. They've been underwhelming to me. But I think especially in terms of the defense that we talked about for Ohio State and this offense that they're going to face this week, Adrian Martinez at quarterback. Maurice Washington, Dedrick Mills, are a couple of good running backs. JD Spielman, he had 200 yards against Ohio State a couple of years ago. He's a really good receiver and then Rondale Robinson, he just had a breakout game against Illinois and he drew a Rondale Moore comparison from Ryan Day today. So, I think especially for Ohio State's defense, I think this is by far the biggest test of it will will faced yet this year.
1: Yep, this is that's by that's that is the most interesting part of this game to me and it's pure one thing, just speed. Like last year, Ohio State's defense looked slow at times um, at all three levels, really, especially at the second level, especially linebackers. And while I think it would be hard to say that they that for anyone to say that they ha- they aren't drastically improved, we haven't seen them against a team that's really fast. And I think Nebraska I don't think Nebraska will be the fastest team that they play against, but it will absolutely be a step up in speed. And that's what I want to see. I want to see can these linebackers cover from side to side? Um, how are they going to deal with with Wandale Robinson in um, his speed? I mean, you you think about Rondale Moore, people are going to have nightmares about Rondale Moore for like a decade. Next time yeah. they face Purdue, there's only going to be one thing that everyone brings up: it's Rondale Moore. Um, I want to see, I want to
0: see this defense can can it match the speed? Can it match the speed? Yeah, and and. And these guys are, are legit. All, all those guys that I just named off, those guys could all play at Ohio State right now. Yep. We, we could not say that against just about anybody that they've played in the past four weeks. Really, I mean, really, on both sides of the ball for either team, there were not many players on their first four opponents of the year who we would have said would, would step right in and play a lot at Ohio State right now. All those guys that I just named could have. Adrian Adrian Martinez, uh, I know Arya Wasserman of The Athletic just wrote about it uh, on Monday. I mean, Adrian Martinez could have been Ohio State's starting quarterback this year if if things had turned out a little differently. Ohio State, Ryan Day said on Tuesday they came very close to offering Adrian Martinez. They ended up taking Matthew Baldwin instead, but uh, he's a really good quarterback. Wandale Robinson's a guy that Ohio State recruited. Maurice Washington, they didn't offer him, but they did recruit him a little bit. Uh, these are These are good players, and I think it's going to be I think Ohio State's defense is going to hold its own because I I, I think they are so much better than last year. But I don't see them uh, getting gashed. But this is a significant step up. Uh, I, I do think Nebraska is going to be able to make some plays. It's just going to be a matter of limiting that and and not allowing them to string plays together.
1: Yeah, Ohio State's defense has been great thus far. It is by far their biggest test. What do like when you're looking at the other side of the ball, what, what stands out?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think Nebraska's defense, nobody's gonna say Nebraska's defense is great, but I also think that a lot of people are just gonna go into this game and say Nebraska's defense is awful. I don't necessarily think that's true. I mean, looking at their stats, uh, they've allowed more than a yard less per play this year than they did last year. Uh, so this defense has gotten better. Uh, you look at the Colorado game, for, for example, they actually played really well on defense for most of the game. And then at the end of the game, uh, they got tired. Uh, they played a lot of defensive plays in that game and, and they kind of ran out of steam at the end. And now granted, if that happens against Ohio State, they're gonna be in big trouble. But uh, you, know, you even look at the Illinois game this past week, they gave up 38 points. But a big reason for that was because they turned the ball over a lot because I, I, they didn't give up that many yards for, for giving up 38 points. Uh, so you you look at them statistically, uh, they've, they've played, I think they're in the top 10 or 15 in defensive plays played this year. So that allows teams to accumulate some yards against them, accumulate some points against them. Uh, but I don't think they're a bad defense. I still think when you look at the defenses Ohio State has played... Uh, probably like Cincinnati, I'd say they're probably about of the same level as a Cincinnati. And granted, Ohio State scored 42 points against Cincinnati, so I think Ohio State is certainly capable of scoring into the 40s or even into 50s against this defense, but I don't think it's going to be a walk in the park that people necessarily think it's going to be. I think Ohio State, in order to have the kind of success that it's capable of having against this defense, is going to have to execute well is going to have to play well, and especially going on the road, I, I still think this is going to be a tougher test for, for Justin Fields and for this offense than they've had in the first four games.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because going into the year, I did that same idea about Nebraska as you, sort of was interested in seeing what Scott Frost could do in the second year, and they're 3-1, but they're not They're not the 3-1 and one that I thought that they might be. They're not the 4-0 that I thought that they might be. Um, I just feel, I'm not going to lie, I feel very confident in the Buckeyes. Like, I know that you're also going to pick Ohio State, but the way that Ohio State is played in all three phases of the game, I don't see Ohio State losing this game. And I this, I can't wait for this to be replayed, um, but I I just can't. I just can't. I think Ohio State has too much talent. I like, I, I've just, I've really liked the way that their defense has played lately, that and I know this is going to be a big test. But I think they're going to pass this test, and I think the on the offense, I think Ohio State's offense, I think you're right, Nebraska's defense isn't as good, but the way that Justin Fields has played recently, and especially J.K. Dobbins behind this offensive line, I'm just I'm going to pick Ohio State to win handily. I, we can talk about this game. The spread's 17-and-a-half. Yeah. You're picking them to cover? I will absolutely pick them to cover. Yeah, I'll pick them to win by 25-30.
0: Yeah, I, my score prediction for the game will have Ohio State covering. Would I bet on Ohio State to cover 17.5 with my own money? I wouldn't because uh, I'm not that confident going into this game uh, just because I do think this is a step up. I, I do think this is still a dangerous game, especially if Nebraska can cut down on some of the issues it's had with turnovers and with issues in the kicking game. I, I still think... This is a dangerous game. I, I don't think it's a lock for Ohio State to win, but would I bet against Ohio State in this game? Would I bet against Ohio State in this game with 17.5 points? No, I wouldn't. I, I, I think it's more likely that Ohio State covers than they don't. Uh, and I, I, my, my guess for this game, uh, I, I think Nebraska is going to score somewhere in the 20s range. I think Ohio State's going to score somewhere in the 40s range. So uh, I could see this game being anything from a 14-point game uh, to a 28-point game. None, if nothing in that range would surprise me. I do think it's going to be Ohio State's most competitive game of the year. But I do think if Ohio State comes out and plays up to its ability, plays the way it's been playing so far this year, I, I do think they will win fairly comfortably.
1: Yeah, I think there are two things that, that maybe could lead to either like, some sort of shocking loss or it being way closer than we think. Like on on Ohio State's defense, if it turns out that this defense, sure, it impressed in the first four weeks, but it's just not as fast as we thought it was. Um, there are more holes in the secondary than we than we think that there than we thought that there were. Um, th- I think that could lead to 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 potentially disastrous outcome. But I'm not. I'm certainly not going to pick that. And the other side. Some, some one of these days, Justin Fields is going to make like four mistakes in a game. He just hasn't yet. He's played it really safe. Um, he's he's been better about not taking not taking many hits the last game or two. He hasn't thrown an interception. He hasn't really come close to throwing an interception. One of these games, it's going to happen, and we'll see how he responds. And if it's this game, that could that could lead to it being closer than than I think it will be. Um, the way he's played, I'm, I'm I
0: think it's going to go well for him, but. But you know, football, football, anything can happen. We're going to get to your questions here in a few minutes because we got a lot of them. But a couple quick topics I wanted to revisit. Mentioned the red shirts before. At this point, based on what Ryan Day said on Monday, it, it sounds like the six guys who have played in four games are not going to red shirt. It sounds like the plan right now is for the other guys to red shirt. Maybe there's a few guys in that group uh, who could sneak out of it, you know, a Steel Chambers or, or someone of that nature. But overall, it looks most likely like those six guys won't redshirt and the other guys most likely will. And those six guys are Garrett Wilson, Jameson Williams, Zach Harrison, Harry Miller, Craig
1: Young, and Marcus Crowley. Is
0: there anyone in that group that surprises you, or is there anyone in the other group that surprises oh,
1: you? Oh, Like going into the
0: year, Craig Young surprises me. Like, we had heard about his athleticism. I
1: know you did a story on, on that and his – sort of that speed size athleticism the combo is very intriguing that's why they, that's why he that's why they recruited him um but i didn't expect him to not redshirt as a freshman i thought that he would be a prime redshirt candidate where he's someone you can build he can build his body up he can he can fill it out he can he can learn the playbook he can figure out what he is on defense because remember he came in as an athlete we weren't exactly sure where he was going to be now he's settled in at linebacker like that has surprised me i didn't
0: expect that yeah i i I would say I think I would have been surprised initially. I don't think I'm surprised because of the way that that Greg Madison and Jeff Halfley talked about him this summer. As he was a guy they specifically mentioned when they were talking about finding roles for guys, he was a guy that they specifically mentioned. So uh, I think that. I, I think that they they always kind of had an idea that they were going to try to find something for him this year. Now, right now, he's only playing on special teams, and he's still not a regular in either of those units. So I'm intrigued to see how his role might develop over the course of a year, because I don't think you're going to not redshirt a guy just to play sometimes on special teams, and he's really not playing at all on defense. So I have to think there's still something they've got up their sleeve with him that they think he can do, and there's a reason why he's not redshirting. Uh, but, you know, that seems to be the plan. They seem to, to like him. That certainly speaks well to how he's done since he's arrived. I think the other side of that, I think the guy that I'm a little surprised does look like he's in line to redshirt right now is Kate Stover because that's when I would have guessed, if I would have guessed who would make the bigger impact as a freshman, Kate Stover or Craig Young, I would have guessed Kate Stover because I would have thought he was a little bit more uh, college ready would have been my guess. And right now, it looks like he's probably going to redshirt. I don't think he's earned his way onto special teams as much as Craig Young has yet, and I think that's a reason why for that. Uh, that could still change, and right now they don't need him to play. Right now they are so deep at linebacker that they don't need him, so it makes sense to redshirt him. But I do think that's probably the one guy I thought we might see out there a little bit more on special teams and might avoid a redshirt this year.
1: Yep, I agree. He's really the only one. I mean, you could mention Noah Potter, but they have so much depth at defensive end that, that a redshirt for him makes sense. And then Steel Chambers, I think he ran well this last game, but just the fact that I don't think they planned a redshirt Uh, Marcus Crowley, you might as well redshirt one. Yeah, unless
0: you have injuries there, they don't need them both to play. So I think that's the reasoning for there. Uh, One bit of news that came out this week that was a little bit unexpected, uh, Isaiah Pryor made the decision on Monday that he would transfer from Ohio State. And uh, I don't think that comes as a huge surprise because uh, you look at the way that the depth chart was set up for this year and next year. Right now, Ohio State's only playing one deep safety on most plays, which means Isaiah Pryor was effectively Jordan Fuller's backup, and I think the way that Josh Proctor has ascended in his time at Ohio State so far, I would have been really surprised if Isaiah Pryor was starting ahead of Josh Proctor next year. So I think it makes sense. Pryor has only played in four games this year. He hasn't redshirted, so it makes sense for him to leave now, to transfer somewhere else, to be able to play for two more years where he's going to have more playing time, but but one question there is, Josh Proctor missed last week's game. He had a cast on his hand. Is there a bit of a depth concern at safety right now behind Jordan Fuller? Because Ryan Day said on Tuesday that Joss Went, and Marcus Hooker, a couple of other guys you could play there. But those guys really haven't seen any playing time at deep safety this year. So uh, right now, Jordan Fuller is the only guy they really need to play a lot. And Proctor is going to continue to mix in as long as he's healthy. But behind them, not a whole lot there. I think it's only a concern if Josh
1: Proctor um, is out for an extended period of time, which I, I, I don't imagine he Doesn't will be. Doesn't seem to be, because um, he was a
0: very last-minute scratch yeah, on uh, Saturday.
1: Sure, sure. if he's out for an extended period of time, there's not a clear backup for the rest of the year. But at the same time, Jordan is the kind of guy who, unless he's seriously hurt, I, I imagine he's going to be in there, and he's going to be in there playing. Basically every single play. So well, he I, has so far. Yeah. So it's not a position that I'm super concerned about um, depth-wise. I'd only be concerned if Josh Proctor's out for a long time. Just the way Josh Proctor's played, if if he's the only backup, they're fine. I mean, yeah. They, I mean, I think I a, think
0: he's ready to play. Yeah, it's right. a
1: single safety defense. They they don't need to have a ton of guys ready at safety.
0: Yeah. No. I, I I agree with you. I I agree with you. I think you'd like to have one more guy in that depth chart with a little bit more experience. Uh, but like you said, I think Fuller and Proctor really they were the only two guys who were gonna play a lot for the rest of the year as long as there are no major injuries. Yeah, and by the way,
1: like Pryor made a smart and interesting decision. Like I, I wonder why I don't think this is gonna be a widespread thing, but to leave after four after four weeks just to just to keep the red shirt intact, I think it's a sorta of, it was a smart move. I mean, he looked at the depth chart, he's a junior right now. Next year would have been his last year at Ohio State. Jordan Fuller graduates, well, it's either him or Josh Proctor, and just the way that Josh Proctor's playing, it's be hard to pick, pick uh, Isaiah Pryor as the, as the likely winner out of that. So I think he made the smart play. Um, obviously, it's not
0: exactly what Ohio State would like, but he's got to look out for himself. Yeah, and we've talked to Isaiah Pryor a couple times. He's a smart guy. He's a thoughtful mm-hmm. guy. Uh, by all accounts, it was a very amicable uh, parting that you know Isaiah Pryor uh, was honest with Ryan Day about Uh, his intentions. Uh, Ryan Day said on Tuesday he wishes him nothing but the best. So uh, I think everybody leaving on good terms and all the reason uh, for wherever Isaiah Pryor goes uh, next year for uh, Buckeye fans to to root for him to be successful uh, wherever he goes. Uh, So speaking of Buckeye fans, let's get to your questions because we only got about 20 minutes left here and we got a lot of questions to get to. So we're going to roll rapid fire for these a little bit, but we'll try to uh, get you some answers for whatever we can. So, uh, first question on our list comes from Nuttabuckas, who I know has been on our show a couple times already of questions, so thank you, Nuttabuckas. He says, how often do you see Baron Browning and Brendan White playing Saturday night, noting the speed that we already talked about uh, on Nebraska's offense? I think that's an interesting question because uh, we've talked about it already with Baron Browning. He, he definitely has more speed than Truff Borland. There's no question about that. And then Brendan White... He he remains the enigma. Uh, you, this was that we'll, we'll go ahead and kind of mix these because Bartholomew, who thank you by the way for saying in the comments that I pronounced "jiff" correctly, Colin objects, but it's incorrect. Uh, I think it's correct. Well, that's a conversation for another day. But Bartholomew asked, "What are your conclusions from your quest to find out if a bullet exists?" And Colin, you went on a quest after Saturday's game to to talk to Greg Madison about the bullet position and what it actually is what were your findings
1: he it's interesting because i
0: walked up to him and like i had asked you
1: earlier in the week like listen i know we hear about the bullet all the time the bullet has a great name does it exist or are we all just being played because what in the world is Brandon white doing differently than pete warner because unless I'm wrong, the answer is nothing. He's been playing Sam linebacker you, for the last few weeks. He has been playing Sam linebacker. You see, you see the exact same blitzes. You see that you see that same blitz where they roll up Jordan Fuller. They send either uh, Pete Warner or Brandon White back to be the deep safety. You've
0: seen them both do these exact, literally the exact same things. I think the biggest surprise of it is that not necessarily that Brandon White has been playing more linebacker, but that Pete Warner has been playing safety. Okay, here's here's my here's my sort of takeaway. Um,
1: the bullet is not dead, but Pete Warner killed the bullet this year. I think. All right, the way that I would explain this, based on what I've learned, based on what I've watched, based on what they've said, they want this bullet position to exist. This bullet position will exist past when Pete Warner and Brendan White are at Ohio State, but. They went in with the intention of Brendan White being the bullet. And it turns out Pete Warner's really good. And he's really good at what they want the bullet to be really good at. So they have this bullet, and hypothetically the bullet is a better coverage um, player than the strong side linebacker, in which case you'd put the bullet in there instead of the strong side linebacker. But I sort of think
0: that they like Pete Warner as in coverage better than the better than Brendan White. And I think too, Ryan Day said it on Tuesday that he was asked about safeties, but I think it applies to a bullet too because of kind of a mixes between these positions that the new defensive positions that Ohio State has, they're going to start recruiting to those positions now. So a guy like Court Williams, who's currently committed uh, for Ohio State's class of 2020, he's being recruited to play bullets. So I, I think the type of linebackers, the type of safeties, the type of hybrids they recruit going forward might lead to a little bit more of a distinguished bullet but I think you're right I think right now it's just the reality is right now they trust Pete Warner more than they trust Brendan White now to get back to the original question I do think there's a chance we see Brendan White more on Saturday I mean just watch last year's tape in Nebraska that was Brendan White's breakout game Uh, he he had like 13 tackles against Nebraska in a game he didn't even start last year so he he certainly knows something about playing that team I wouldn't be surprised if he's a little bit more involved in the game plan this week. I do think Baron Browning will probably get more snaps from Tough Borland this week. Uh, But but White's still an enigma to me. It's it's so hard to predict what he's going to do because every week it seems like the carrot's out there for him to play a little bit more, and it just hasn't happened yet. So now I'm at the point where until that happens, we're going to have to wait and see.
1: Yeah, no. I, to answer the first part of the question, I think Barry Browning plays even a little bit more than we've seen him play recently, and he already has been playing more than Tough Boyland. But the second part of the question, no, I still I don't think that Brennan, Like, I guess we'll see, and maybe I could be proven wrong. But the way they use the bullet right now leads me to believe that Brandon White will not be playing more than he has recently. I think he'll play a similar amount than to what he has recently. I think I think we'll see a lot of Pete Warner still. They love Pete Warner. They're going to keep playing Pete Werner as much as they can play Pete Werner, and I don't see that stopping anytime soon. I think Pete Werner killed the bullet temporarily until Pete <laughs> Werner's gone from Ohio State, in which case the bullet will return, and someone who actually they recruited to play the bullet will be filling that position. But right now, Pete, I, I think Pete Werner might as well just call him the bullet. Like, Pete Werner is what they want the bullet to be. I think he's well, right the now, best Right now the Bull- bullet
0: and the team. Sam are being used the same. Yes, yeah, we'll so here's the thing, thing but it hasn't yet.
1: Here's the thing: the bullet sounds cooler. So, and Greg Madison said as much after the game. I asked, "So why not just call him the same position?" He said, "Because we like calling people the bullet." You know what? If that's why they have the bullet, that's a great reason. I'm all
0: for good names, good name value. So, apologies if you guys heard any audio interruption during our last conversation. Uh, we're recording in a public library, so occasionally, I think
1: Cindy has to go to the front desk. Yeah, so if you know, neither of us Cindy,
0: so that's good news. Next question. Samaik asks us if you could decide on when polls should first be released. When would you start doing so? Preseason week four, week six, or even later? Which polls? Are we talking AP? We're we talking, talking about football? media and coaches polls. Uh, from from a fairness perspective of college football, I'd probably say later. From somebody who has to write about stuff every day. I, let, we'll just keep it the way it is it gives us more to talk about
1: well, and here's the thing like polls that poll is they not, also
0: don't matter yeah that poll
1: doesn't matter here's why it's done because it's fun because people like to talk about it because people like it to keeps complain the conversation about going. it it keeps the conversation going and you get a debate and like this even is,
0: though it doesn't matter you can turn yeah. on any college football radio show they talk about it you can look at the post on 11 Warriors this, every Sunday This and is why.
1: this is why it. people like college football they like these debates they like they like having this competition like how do you know that Georgia's better than Ohio I say, well, you don't right now, but you can debate
0: about so it. So, yeah, I don't know if preseason polls are the best thing for college football, but I think I think it's fine. I don't and they'll never it. go away. I they'll don't know. They're not going to go away. Bucks asks us, if you could ban yourself from going to one Big Ten venue for game coverage, which would it be and Three, why? Three, two, one, Rutgers. Rutgers. Yeah. Nothing against Rutgers as a facility. I do remember them having good food. Uh, two years ago, I don't think we've applied for our credentials yet, so please uh, don't hold this against us, Rutgers. But uh, it's not a competitive game. It's an eight-hour drive. And it's uh, a terrible
1: drive. I hate the Pennsylvania yeah, drive. Yeah,
0: it's just not a trip that y- you're ever going to look forward to because it's long, uh, and it's typically a blowout game, so you don't get that much out of it. Uh, I figured we'd agree on that. That's an, such an easy answer. While, while we're on that, uh, S. Carolina Buckeye. Uh, who's always a, a prolific question ask, asker uh, for our podcast. His, he has three questions. We're going to have to go rapid fire here. But his first one, what press box has the best food? Uh, I'll go with Penn State. I remember being really good. Uh, they're, yeah, also, good they're also the worst press box just in terms of everything else because it's very cramped. The angles aren't very good. Uh, it shakes constantly. Uh, but food... Uh, in terms of Big Ten, I, yeah. I, I've been to some other places. Uh, I remember when I was uh, covering uh, Clemson, I remember Louisville having really good food, NC State having really good food, but Big Ten, I'd say Penn State.
1: Quick shout-out, Michigan State, Indiana, post-game pizza, but... Michigan whoop. State
0: with the hot dog vouchers yeah. instead of a, a medium meal. That's a big down, though, right that's, there. That's, that's a negative, but what did Iowa have?
1: Iowa, I don't remember what Iowa had, I just remember being
0: satisfied I don't remember, because the only thing I remember from that game was (laughs) was uh, it being a really bad game. Uh, I remember it being a really bad game for Ohio State, and I remember uh, the post game being held in front of a a green screen, basically, which led to a lot of memes. Number two question from South Carolina Buckeyes. After the Big Ten collectively laid an egg the last few weeks, do you see any blowout loss potential on the schedule for the Bucs? No. So we're talking about like a Purdue-Iowa type I don't, of loss. I don't. I, re- I really don't see that. Uh, for one, I think this team is better than the last two years' team, so I, don't, I think they're much more well-equipped to avoid that. And secondly... I just don't see a team that's gonna gonna make that happen. Yep, the long the
1: there's a long answer to it, but I think the short answer is no. And like you said, I think this team's too complete to have one of those types of losses. That that's and maybe I'll write about it this week. I've been meaning to, but that's why I don't think that lo- that kind of loss is coming
0: this year. Since we're on that topic, I wanna to jump to Silver Sniper's question and we'll get back to the rest of the quest- your last question, South Carolina Buckeye. Uh, Solar Sniper said, "You both see this team as an 11 and one team, given how difficult it is to get through a season undefeated. I challenge you to, to pick. I challenge you to pick who you believe that loss would most likely come from. That's a good challenge because I'll be honest with you, I don't have a great answer to that question. It's a, it is I, a on, great question. On paper, I will say this: On paper, Ohio State should go 12 and 0 and." The games that I thought were going to be most dangerous coming into the year don't look as dangerous anymore. Nebraska was one of them. Northwestern, uh, I thought Hunter Johnson was going to be good. He's been horrible. So I think if Ohio State's defense keeps playing the way they've played, I think they could probably shut out Northwestern. I thought that game at Iowa-Purdue potential, I don't see it anymore. Uh, I thought Michigan they, they Michigan might have another chance. Yeah, right? Michigan, uh, what the they way doing? they played against Wisconsin – uh, was not impressive, and and right now I'd feel pretty good about Ohio State in that game. Wisconsin's probably the toughest team on the schedule now, the way they've been playing. But Ohio State does get them at home, so I I, I think that's probably the toughest competition. Uh, but when you look at you got Michigan State at home, Wisconsin at home, Penn State at home, uh, those are all games I'd be more concerned about if they were playing against them on the road. So uh, I do think those are losable games. My answer is they have eight more games to go. Uh, I think Rutgers is the only one that's an absolute lock. I think the other ones, there's a little bit of potential for all of them. So do I think it's more likely than not that Ohio State is going to lose one of those games? My answer to that is still yes because I think it's really hard to go 12 and 0. But is there any one game that I'm going to single out and say I think Ohio State will lose this game? No, I can't. So so
1: it. don't pick, but like which one is the most likely loss?
0: Like I know you're not going to pick them to lose this game, but which one is
1: there any that stand out in that regard? I'm going to say I'm going to
0: say Wisconsin right now. Yeah,
1: that's a reasonable answer. Yeah. Here's my little secret. I sort of want to pick them to go 12 and 0 because I'm looking at the schedule and like it is not as difficult as I thought it was going to be before the season and this team is way better than I thought. I know, and I'll
0: say this if they go 12 and 0 at this point I will not be surprised. Before the season I wouldn't have said that. At this point if they go 12 and 0 I will not be surprised. I'm just not ready to say it yet because I do know how tough it is to go 12 and 0. I'm
1: I'm so confident against uh, about the Wisconsin game for Ohio State. I know that that's going to be a huge game but but I really I I really think, though, that the Buckeyes are going to win that one just based on their run defense. So my answer is going to be Penn State. But I'm secretly thinking that they're going to go 12 and 0. But I can't change my pick. All right. Why well, we're on the topic
0: of uh, you want to go back to you sky want to go back. high expectations? That's what I'm going to. Oh, there we I go. Saying, when his career is over, Ryan Day will have blank national championships. This is a dangerous question because no matter what I say, I'm either going to be viewed as a hater or a homer. So 12. So I'm going to say one. I'm going to say one. I think he will win a national championship at Ohio State. Uh, do if, I do Car- I think he's capable? Urban won one like it's like do uh, I yeah do I think he's capable of winning multiple? Absolutely. Do I necessarily think it's going to happen? It's really hard to win national championships in college football. Like you said, Urban only won one. Jim Trussell only won one. So and, and there's a lot of potential. For like, me to predict after four games when he hasn't really beaten anybody yet that he's going to win multiple national championships, I don't know. But I'm ready to go out on that limb. And like the Ryan Day thing, like. I th- I he think, could go to I the think NFL. He could
1: go to the NFL. Right. Like like if he if he is awesome in college, like that possibility is always out there. Um I'll pick him to win one yeah. too. I think he'll win one. Um I do.
0: I, I I feel good saying I think he will win a national championship so well. I think he is that level of coach. I think he can lead Ohio State to a national championship. And
1: do I, I th- and I think it comes within like three or four years. I think it becomes I think within that's three or very four years realistic. I think he, that's he has, Very realistic. Because he has he has great talent talent on this team. Um, and sort of all of its classes this year, that's your very possibility. Like, like this team right
0: now is really good, and we'll. It's not too long until we start talking playoff if they keep on winning. Smitty five one six asks us. I, I like this question. He asks uh, on Ohio State's defense this year. Last year, Adrian Martinez threw for two hundred sixty six yards and ran for another seventy two, a free total touchdown. So, with that in mind, over unders for this week, Adrian Martinez. Two hundred fifty passing yards, seventy-five rushing yards, two and a half total touchdowns. I'm gonna say over, under, under. And so say that again. You're let me just- okay. Let, let, let me. Let, I'll break them down real quick, and then and and we. You, I want you to chime in as well, of course. But I'm gonna say over passing, under rushing, under total touchdowns, and I'm I. i i gonna say over on passing because I think Ohio State's gonna have a lead for most of the game. I also think their run defense is really good, so I think I, I think they will keep Martinez in check as a runner. I don't think he'll get to 75. I do think that's going to force Nebraska to pass a lot, so I think he will accumulate some passing yards as the game goes along. And I think you know this is going to be a tougher game for Ohio State to really shut down an opponent. Uh, total touchdowns, I think two and a half is perfect because I, I was thinking in the ballpark of two or three. My guess is Nebraska is going to score about three touchdowns in this game, but I'll guess that at least one of them comes uh, on a run from somebody else. So I'm going to say he scores two touchdowns total.
1: Yep, my uh, mine's pretty similar to you. I would pick over 250 yards, under 75 rushing yards, and I would go over two and a half. I think he'll score three total touchdowns. Um, which is fairly similar to what he did last year, but yep. I do think that rushing number is going to be fairly lower um, than, than the 72 he had last year just just because, like you said, I think this run defense is good. And, sure, they haven't faced anyone like Adrian Martinez quite yet, but I, but I think it, I think it's good.
0: Oh, Smitty also asked us about the offense. Tight end was a focus against FAU but has faded away as usual in the free games following. Do you see Jeremy Ruckert playing a big role the rest of the year of competition heating up, or will he go to the back burner like every tight end? Um, and as he says, let the record show. He's not complaining because the game plan has been quite yeah, successful. Yeah, I mean, I, I, here's the thing. I just I don't think they're going to force it. I think if, if – I think I could see him having one or two big games where they go against a defense that they think is vulnerable to the tight end and so they will use him more, but they're not going to force it. With Chris Olave, with K.J. Hill, with Benjamin Victor, with Austin Mack, with Garrett Wilson, you yeah, had guys like Jameson Williams. They have so many weapons – but they're just not going to force it to anybody. They are going to go with what works best each week. There might be a week or two where it sets up well for Jeremy Ruckert to have a big game, but do I think he's going to ever start having five catches a game? No, I don't see that happening.
1: Completely agree. This has been the whole theme of, of Ryan Day he's going to take what's given to him and then try and take advantage of it. So they're not going to force it. I think there are going to be games where maybe he catches a few more, a few passes, but I don't think they're going to
0: try and make it him have four or five catches every single game. Hovenot asks us, what's your key matchup for Saturday night? I will say the defense versus Wandale Robinson because we already had the Rondale Moore comparison earlier. That's what killed them against Purdue last year. Wandale looked really dynamic last week against Illinois. He can run. He can catch. That's a guy they're going to need to be aware of on every play. And the recipe for an upset, if there's going to be one, is someone like Wandale Robinson going off? So that would be my key matchup.
1: Yep, my key matchup, um, I think, would be Ohio State's defense against Adrian Martinez's legs, just because they haven't faced someone who's quite like um, him in that regard.
0: Bonus question from Hobanot: Who's the guest picker for College Game Day? You said yours. I think it's really good. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Gabrielle Union, who's a big the the actress. Uh, for those who are not familiar with her, she's a big Nebraska fan. Uh, her and her husband Dwayne Wade uh, often go to a lot of Nebraska games. I imagine they will be there for this game. So I'm going to go Gabrielle Union. That's that's my guess on that one. It's
1: such a good answer. I don't even have a good one. I'll just I, I was just joking. I'll I'll pick ten miles. Ten miles would be so <laughs> great on College Game Day.
0: If only he was yes. still there. Seattle Linga asks us about the impact that coach Washington has had on the defense. Uh, What scheme has he brought to the players to help them be placed in the right position? I don't even know what it's scheme. I think it's just the the way that he's freed them up to play. I think instead of doing what Bill Davis and Greg Shiano were doing, which was having the linebackers standing right over the defensive defensive line and, and forcing them into positions that were not suited well to their skill sets. I think Al Washington is putting these guys in position that's allowing them to play fast. It's allowing guys like Pete Werner and Tuff Borland to uh, use their ability to make quick reads to their advantage. It's allowing a guy like Baron Browning to play with a lot of confidence. Uh, Malik Harrison, of course, playing really well. Uh, I'm not enough of a scheme expert to... And I, I, I think... Kyle mentioned earlier, I would I would go read Kyle Jones' piece on Eleven Warriors this week because he can probably break down the, the scheme of a linebackers a lot better than we can. But I just think that Al Washington has found a way to use these guys that allows them to play up their ability that the previous coaches just weren't doing.
1: Yeah, I, I wouldn't call what they were doing last year robotic, but I think that right now they're just playing more instinctually. I think I think you see them and when they see it's a run, they they sprint up. To the line of scrimmage, they're they're way better at getting off blocks than they were last year. I just think I think he's allowing them to play faster, more instinctually, fewer reads, and I think like it's less schematic and way more just that.
0: Minbuck asks us rank the following head coaches in order of joy they bestowed: Trestle, Richrod, Hoke, Urban, Harbaugh, Day. I'm gonna be honest; I don't really know what I can answer his question because uh, I am someone who is. Views this team and this job in a very objective way and so I, I don't necessarily take a lot of joy out of uh especially you know seeing like michigan lose uh the way an ohio state fan would i, I don't take joy in that it's just it's just something that i observe so it, it's kind of hard for me to answer that question uh i, I think that's a question that uh, is much better posed to somebody who who views the game as a fan than as an objective observer as I try to be.
1: Yeah, I think it, I think Eleven Warriors is set up in a way where, rightly, I think a lot of people assume that everybody here is fans, but there are and teams. I
0: think there are writers at Eleven Warriors who could probably give a great answer to that question.
1: <laughs> I, in fact, I know. Yeah. I think you should ask Johnny. That, yeah, the, the Eleven Duckcast. <laughs> I
0: think he could give you a great answer. I, I'm just not personally. Yeah, to it's, do just, it. it's
1: just, it's um, just. We try and be objective in our coverage, and also I'll answer uh, Rich Rod number one because I'm a West Virginia fan. Those are really the glory days.
0: Right on cue, OSU Bias asks us a question uh, about, uh, like many young quarterbacks, Justin Fields defaults to bailing backwards rather than stepping up into pocket. If I'm Nebraska, I bring heavy a gap pressure and play press man, and force him to throw in tight windows. If they take that approach. How do the Buckeyes respond?
1: Put on your offensive coordinator hat, Dan.
0: Yeah, that's that's a tough one. Um, You know, I I think first of all, uh, going on the road, playing in Nebraska, one of the first things they're going to do, no matter how Nebraska tries to play them, is they're going to try to establish the run. They're going to try to get J.K. Dobbins going. uh, And they're going to try to force – nebraska to play the run which should allow open things up in the passing game uh for justin fields but uh, i think that's a good observation uh i do think that one of the one of the things we haven't seen from justin fields is having to force those throws into tight windows having to make a ton of tough throws under pressure uh so i do think that's something that's going to happen at some point uh i don't know if it'll be this week uh I think Nebraska will probably find some ways to challenge them. I don't know if they're a good enough defense to consistently keep Ohio State's receivers covered and consistently break through with pressure. Uh, but if they're able to do that, it's going to be very interesting to watch.
1: Yeah, it's one of those things. I can't tell you how they're going to counteract heavy A-gap pressure in playing press. I, I'm, I'm If I knew that, uh, maybe I'd be better at my job. But unfortunately, I'm, I'm not. Um, We try to to admit what we don't know. Yeah, and I don't know that. But the one thing I do know is Ryan Ryan Day has helped out Justin Fields in a giant manner this year. Justin Fields is not making a ton of tough throws. He just isn't. Um, And you can't really hold that against him. He's taking what's given to him, and he's making the best of it. If any defense, no matter how they do it, forces him to make tough throws I'd be interested to see what happens because we just haven't seen that yet and I'm not 100% sure how you do that how you would get him to force balls and I'm not even sure I'm if not what sure, actually force. They want
0: him to yes which
1: would be interesting to see how they how they respond um I i would want like i want to see, i want to see someone do that just to see how they respond i'll say
0: this colin and i don't have the schematic knowledge to, to counteract that but i think ryan day and mike Gersich probably do so i think they're probably going to be they're probably seeing the same things as you they're probably going to anticipate that at some point and they're probably going to have a game plan in place uh to respond to it so uh I think that's a better question for them. They're not going to tell you the answer because they're not going to want you to know. Uh, they don't want Nebraska to know. But uh, I'm sure as the season progresses, we're, we're going to have to see Justin Fields do some things that he hasn't done yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, 47 Hawk, who describes himself as a longtime reader, new commenter. Thank you for uh, chiming in and asking us a question this week. He says, does K.J. Hill break the catch record this season? Do you see his role increasing as the Buckeyes hit the meat of their schedule? Yes and yes. I think that he will break the catch record. I do think his role increases as the Buckeyes hit the meat of their schedule. I think he's always been a guy, if you watch the past couple years, he's been that guy that when they're in a real close game, and they need they need that big third down conversion. They need somebody to make that clutch play. He's been that guy that they've gone to time and time again. So I I think when we get into some tougher games here uh, in October and November, I do think there are going to be bigger games for KJ Hill. I think there's going to be you know more of those intermediate throws to KJ Hill that we've come accustomed to seeing. And I I do think that he will break the catch record this season.
1: Yeah, I actually didn't look this up offhand uh, before before answering this question, but but I imagine his snap count is um right now or it is lower. the highest
0: of the team i, I think it's
1: but i think i imagine they're lower than they just the average was last Correct. year um so i think just in general he'll have more snaps um he's at 15 right now he had to he, he needed to get 47 this year i think so he's, the on either pace. Tie, he's on pace he'll, he'll need to step it up just a little bit just to give him a little bit of ease at the end of the year um, but yeah no i think I think you had the analysis correct on on him getting a little bit more of an increased role, and yes, he'll break the catch record.
0: Gin and Juice, who's asking us a question for a second week in a row, because I can't forget your username, says, If the Buckeyes offense comes out flat in the first quarter, what does Ryan Day do? Resort to proven reliable play calls and establish the line scrimmage of a run game, or open up the playbook, mixing in horizontal passing with vertical play action pass? Well, like I said, I think they're going to establish the run Uh, period. I think that's something they're going to try to do uh, right away, early and often in this game. Uh, We've seen quite a bit of play action, I think, already this year. So I think that's something that's going to continue to be a big part of this offense. Uh, The one thing we really haven't seen that we saw a lot last year were a lot of the crossers Uh, Some of the stuff over the middle. Uh, I think that's another thing with Fields that we really haven't seen him do a lot of yet. So we're going to have to see if they grow more comfortable with those kind of plays with him as he gains more and more experience. But, uh, you know, I I think that, you know, they've just got to have a good plan in place. They've got to have... You know, plan B and plan C. Ryan Day always talks about we don't script plays, we have openers. So they don't go into a game going, this is what we're going to run first drive, second drive, third drive. They kind of like to feel it out. And uh, this is this is going to be one of those games where they're probably going to have to be ready to have a couple tricks up their sleeves. I mean, y- y- watching the film from this last week's game, they were as vanilla as they could possibly be. They were basically in their base packages all the time, really didn't do anything outside the box. Uh, but I think this week they're definitely going to have some more tricks up their sleeve.
1: Yeah, Ryan Day's approach to, to game planning just in general I think is interesting. I don't think to him there is such a thing as opening up the playbook. I think that they sort of... They go into each game having a really comprehensive game plan, knowing plays that they are gonna yeah, watch a run.
0: Buckets that they use, and they kind of pick from each bucket uh, in plays. terms of which plays. And I, yeah, I, I don't. I don't think they, they've they looked at it like, okay, we're only using 40% of the playbook right now, and now we're going to open it up to 50 I think it's just yeah. what do they think works best in each situation each week.
1: Yeah, so I think they have a comprehensive game plan. They have a lot of plays that maybe they think that are going to work against a specific team, and if they show you something different, then they'll go deeper into it and grab some stuff out of that quote-unquote bucket. Um, so I that's just not one of the things that I ever really worry about. I know that that's something that maybe fans think about a lot, but for Ryan Day... I've never really looked at him and been really thinking about or, or thinking that people should be concerned about his game plan and are they going to be too conservative? are they not get He has shown a, just a honestly a really impressive ability to respond. And you saw that from the defensive coaching staff this
0: past week, which I know I think is the uh, last problem. Or is the last question. Yeah, last question is, the one thing I noticed from last week is that when Miami started hurting us in zone, we switched to man to seem to remedy the problem. But if Miami can hurt us in zone, the other elite team sure as heck can And if a solution is to switch to press man, I'm not confident our DBs are good enough to win those matchups of the elites. Should we be worried? Well, first of That's all— That's from Earthoid. Yeah, first of all, I, I don't think anybody should read too much into what happened in the first quarter against Miami. Because I think— I, just watching warm-ups of that game, I think Ohio State did sleepwalk into that game. I don't think they came in with the same level of intensity that they did in their first three games of the year. And I think after going down 5 nothing, they woke up and realized, okay, we got to turn on the Jets a little bit. we got to play a little harder. And they dominated the rest of the game. So I don't read too much into that. Now, uh, you know, I, I think... I think they're going to continue to mix zone and man all year long. I think there's going to be games where they go heavy in man because they think that's what works best. I think there's going to be games where they go heavy in zone because they think that works best. And and they're going to kind of look at that situation each week. But you know, in terms of are, are the DBs good enough to win those matchups? I think they probably are. I think the DBs are really good. Uh, I, I you know I think Damon Arnett and and Sean Wade. Uh, we're probably a couple guys who who had some struggles with the scheme last year but I think those guys have gotten a lot better with another year of development a year of coaching from Jeff Halfley. so can they rely on press man constantly no but uh, do I think that these defensive backs are good enough uh, to hold their own uh, I think they probably are
1: yeah I think that's a really astute observation by airhor it is because it is um. He's right to an extent. Like if Miami forces you to change your coverage, then how can then how can Michigan not force you to change your coverage? Which is not Nebraska. I, I mean, I, why like can't Nebraska fast. force you? I think I think that is a good point. Um, I think I think they sure that I think they slept. I think they sleepwalked a little bit. Um, at the same time, I think Miami had a really good game plan. I think they knew how they wanted to attack Ohio State, and they did it really well like the first two drives the game.
0: I also think – sorry, I think Miami probably spent a lot more time on its first quarter game plan than Ohio State did because I think Ohio State uh, planned on going vanilla for the entire game. So uh, I don't think Ohio State really game planned for Miami. They won't admit this, but I'm guessing that Ohio State did not game plan the way for Miami but they would for Nebraska or any Big Ten opponent. Yeah,
1: and my takeaway for that would not be um, about – how Miami sort of diced them up for four, three or four passes. I think my takeaway from that instead is that you had a defensive coordinator who made a change that worked, which um, we
0: did not see last. year.
1: Which we didn't see last year, and I think it's really important that that this defense can play both. Um, they're they're confident playing both, and it's not just straight just cover three or man. There, I'm sure it gets more intricate than that, but those are just the base the base level terms. Um, I think this defense's strength and the coverage strength is that it can flip flop. It can flip flop between them. And I think there are times where they'll line up, other team will think they're, man, they're playing zone that play. I think that they can go in and out, in and out. And that is a big strength of this defense that we just haven't seen a ton. So, like, sure, um, I, good offenses are always going to score points against good defenses. It's very hard to keep good offenses out of the end zone for the entire game. But. I think this defense's strength, especially in the secondary, is that it can flop between them. And this isn't like last year, which is one of the things that Isaiah Pryor taught me, when they were designing these specific defenses for specific teams every single week. And to to me, it just felt like it got confusing to them. That's not what's happening this week or this year. I think they liked being versatile. They like being able to go back and forth. So, sure, not great that Miami got – three four five good passes
0: against them but should be a pretty good sign that they switched and it worked all right we've kept you guys for over an hour and 15 minutes so we got to get out of here uh thank you all for your questions uh colin made the mistake of saying that we would answer all of your questions so we did but no i'm just kidding we we sincerely do want to answer all of your questions so uh keep them coming every week Uh, we made
1: the mistake of answering long and when i said we might go rapid fire we will do
0: we will do our best to uh, answer all of them uh as often as we can uh, every single week so please keep them coming Uh, we appreciate all of you for listening Uh, please continue to listen please continue to send us your feedback Uh, and we'll catch you next week after uh, a big game against Nebraska, Uh, another big one coming up next week against Michigan State. So we're going to have plenty to talk about uh, on another episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. Uh, Thank you for listening in.